in this new year, my goal was to kind of find some, some foundational stones. You know what I mean? Some things to build on. We lay the foundation, then you build on top of that. Some foundational things that we could really look at. And so we've been poking at some stuff, and, and uh, we're going to dive in a little more today, and we're going to get the word. We're going to get those foundational stones. And there's something interesting. The word is so valuable. It's so valuable to every dimension of your life, not just spiritual. But spiritual is so important because I want you to hear this. The Bible says, guard your heart. When it says heart, it's not talking about the, the muscle in your chest, the beats. It's talking about your spirit. Guard your spirit with all diligence. Be very alert because out of it flows the issues of life. And so if we're not growing spiritually and getting solid and strong spiritually, then we are doing a disservice to ourselves. So make sure that you're working on your spiritual growth because everything flows out of it. It trickles into to everything. And there's um, something called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. That was written in the mid-1600s. And I've always enjoyed it. A catechism, by the way, it's a big fancy word, but just means it's a form of teaching. And a catechism is you give the question and then you give the answer. And when you're first learning something, that's what you need. Like, we don't take first graders and say, okay, we're going to talk about math. What does math mean to you? They go, I've never even heard the word before. And then we say, okay, uh, two plus two, what do you think that would be? And they go, we don't even know what plus means. We don't know any of that stuff. So we start teaching, beginning to say two plus two is the question, and the answer is four. We don't ask them to come up with their own answer. It's four. And so we start a lot of base learning like that. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the first question is this. Now, this is mid-1600 English. It says, what is the chief duty of man? What's the chief duty of man? Well, to modernize it, we could say it like this. What is the ultimate goal of a human being? What is the ultimate goal of a human being? That was the question. Here's the answer. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. I just love that, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And then the second question is, how do we learn how to glorify God and enjoy him forever? By going to the Word, the Old and New Testament, studying the Word. You, we, by the Word of God, we'll learn how to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, there's an interesting thing about that concept. Now, just as a non-believer, uh, people think about what we're doing here today is just religion, and there's lots of religions in the world, and who wants to have anything to do with religion? Most people would say, glorify God. I get it that those people who have fallen prey to religion have to use their life to glorify God, but the thing that would stump most people on planet Earth is the other part, enjoy God. They go, well, that don't make sense to me. I thought religion is just something you turn to because you, you felt like you didn't want to go to hell, so you lived a substandard life and tried to glorify God with your lack of everything because it's awful to be religious or Christian or whatever, and then someday you get to die and then enjoy God. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. So in God's presence is fullness of joy. You're in joy. You get to enjoy God. And Jesus came to give us life, that more abundantly and overflowing. All the teachings of the, the word is that the giver of life comes to bring life, not to steal life. And so the 
thing that's more sad than the world not knowing that we can enjoy God is the high percentage of Christians who don't enjoy God. They don't have the concept that I can enjoy God. I actually can enjoy being a believer. Yes, you can. You can enjoy being a believer. I'll tell you where a transition happened in my life. When I was young, you know, I went to church. They said I was in church the very first Sunday I was alive. I'm assuming that Mama's not a liar and that she was telling me the truth. So I was in church the first Sunday I was alive. And so I did the church thing and a lot of stuff. And by the way, great church, great people, great. Oh, I'm not, this is not a complaint. I'm just telling you how most people do the church world. Church is compartmentalized. You go to church on Sunday morning and you do your church thing. Now, when you leave here, church thing's behind. And now you go do real life. That's how people think. And so that's why some people, very serious about this, some guys or gals can go to church on Sunday and they can sing songs of praise and pray and maybe volunteer and serve in the church. And we'll say they're in leadership at their workplace. They might cuss somebody out on Monday because, after all, this is a church. This is work. They see them as two different things. What helped me to begin to enjoy God is when I realized that God wasn't a part of my life. He was my life. That totally transformed things for me. That all of a sudden, you know where I learned that from? It was more caught than taught. I ran into some people who loved God 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that was foreign to me. Like, okay, that's odd, but I kind of like it, and it appealed to me. It attracted me, and then I realized that we are to love him and enjoy him and to glorify him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 and a quarter days of year, that we are to love God, glorify him, and enjoy him. And when I started seeing my life as a believer as a life, as Colossians says, I think it's Colossians 3, says, when Christ who is our life appears, then, then it really started to change things. So I want to encourage you today, if church is just something you do on a Sunday morning, um, we are the church. We are the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so we're to go live this thing all the time. And that brings so much more joy. Other than that, you're just doing a church thing. And one of the challenges, and it'd be a prayer point for all of us, is I've said this, I've never figured out quite how to do it. That's why I believe it totally takes the Holy Spirit, not in the best laid plans of men, is that you might notice that a lot of young people go off to college and they just walk away from church and their faith and all of that. And I pondered that a lot because that did not happen to me. And I thought, why did that not happen to me? And I realized something, that what we do oftentimes is we raise good church kids, okay? We don't need to be raising good church kids. We need to be raising devoted followers of Jesus. And so as we raise a generation of people who fall in love with Jesus, and Jesus begins to be 24-7, and by the way, they're going, to, they're going to do dumb stuff just like you and I did, okay? So have some grace and mercy, and you're not always going to see Jesus in, in your kids, and they don't always see Jesus in you either, <laughs> so I get that. But we start saying, oh, okay, so I wasn't just a good little church kid who went out in the world and then fell in love with the world. I already fell in love with Jesus. When you fall in love with Jesus, your chances uh, are so huge that the things of the world are not going to appeal to you. That they, they, now, they'll have a fleshly appeal, because there is, we've talked about this regularly, there is pleasure in sin, so I get that. 
but it's not going to have near the appeal. And there's going to be something, as you hear me preach oftentimes, there's going to be something stir up in their hearts and say, hold it, that behavior, that's not who I am, and that's not what I'm about. I'm a follower of Jesus. That's not the way follower of Jesus would think or live or behave. So we want to glorify God with our lives. We want to enjoy him forever. Well, Peter starts to, Peter, one of Jesus' right-hand men, in 2 Peter chapter 1, starts telling us about all these wonderful things that are potentials for us believers, that God's given us these very great and precious promises. And he's, he's rescuing us from the corruption of this world caused by evil desires. And that when we start walking in all this, we get to experience the divine nature, not the corrupt nature. Do you know, if you've if you got very precious things on your computer and you take it into a, a computer person to check it out, if they come back to you and say, I'm sorry to tell you this, your files are corrupted. That's bad news. So God says, through the word, I want you to escape the corruption of this world caused by evil desires. That you got an option to live the corrupt life or the divine life. And Peter says we can participate in the divine nature, not the corrupt death nature of this world. And so he set up a little, you know, vision for what we could be and what could happen in our lives. And then he says, since this is true, for this reason, let's go to those verses, for this reason, he said, then he says, make every effort to add to your faith. And then he's going to list virtues, virtues, behaviors, uh, codes of conduct, whatever you want to call it. By the way, I, I drill this with regularity. People say, that's the problem with Christianity. You've got all these rules and regulations. That, if you want to have a problem, it's a problem with life. That's, that's the way life works. Anything you're going to pursue has codes of conduct, rules and regulations. Now, I'm not talking about laws that were earning salvation, but there's just ways to behave. And we get that on a certain level, because if you came by my office and heard me using every foul language in the world to somebody on the phone, and you stepped in, you would say, that's not a very right code of conduct. And you'd be right. That's not a right code of conduct. And so that's true of anything in life. So he's going to list these, there's seven virtues to add to our faith, and he's going to list them here. He says, he says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance. Perseverance is just that stick to that bulldog determination that you're not going to quit. So perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. So there's seven virtues listed there to add to our faith. And then it goes on and says, four, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. So we're supposed to be growing in these. We have these qualities, but we're supposed to be growing in them. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we talk about discipleship, it's gaining knowledge about how does the kingdom work? What's the scripture say? What does Jesus say? What does the creator of life say? How we should do life. And so we have this knowledge of our Lord Jesus. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Now, if we took time to read all this, this is a message to Christians. They've been cleansed from their past sins. But it's possible to be cleansed from your past sins and be nearsighted. Nearsighted, um, blind. When you're nearsighted, uh, in, in fact, if, if somebody fails... Sometimes they'll say, like a business fails, they, they just didn't have good foresight. 
They were just short-sighted. What are they saying? They only saw what was here around them right now. But anything in life that you want to enjoy is a long game. You want to play the piano? It's a long game. Nobody started playing piano this week or last week, and this week they're a virtuoso. No, not going to happen. It's a long game. You want to save for retirement? It's a long game. You want to be healthy? It's a long game. There's all kinds, it's, it's all, everything's a long game that has meaning, and you're more blessed, but if you just look at the shiny little thing right next to you and go for it, then you're nearsighted and blind, and you forget that you've been cleansed from past sins. In other words, you've got a better life you can live. You're forgetting the long game. You're forgetting, and long game's not just about, one day in heaven, we'll finally get through this awful life. No. It's all about having a great life for the long game. Which you hear me say this all the time. God's more concerned about you having a great life than having a real fun-filled, fleshly weekend. Because having a fun-filled, fleshly weekend is usually produced by sin, and sin produces death, and that's the short game. You don't want the short game. You want the long game. And, so, and the long game, by the way, has all kinds of joy and benefits and perks along the way but you're looking for something beyond here. Remember what it said about Abraham? Abraham looked forward to a city whose builder and maker was God. He looked the long game, not just the local stuff and not just what was in his eyesight right now, but the long game. And so I want to encourage us to do that as well. And so we're going to look at a a virtue. We're going to pull just one of the virtues out here to grow in this week. And we're going to see what how it can help us move forward towards the divine nature. So, I've chosen this one virtue, and it's a a hard one. Um, If it's not one that you need more improvement upon, then just say, praise the Lord, you know, it's something I do really well. I'm going to guess most of us here, at least we don't think we do it well. We probably do it better than what we think, but when we don't do it well, it's glaring. You know, I've always said I feel sorry for cleaning people and custodians. This building has a gazillion windows in it. If one of them was gross looking, we would complain about that window. We wouldn't say, thank you for the 99 windows that look pristine. We would say, I can't believe you didn't clean that window. And so we're probably better at this than what we realize, but when we're not, it's glaring. So today we're going to talk about self-mastery. Self-mastery could also be called Self-control or self-discipline. Words mean something to me, so I I like them. And self-mastery has more power to it. It may not to you, that's just me. So you could call it self-discipline, you could call it self-control, you could call it self-mastery. But the goal is to master self. But we're going to find out how, how can we do that and do that better. So these virtues that we're going to look at, they keep us from being ineffective and unproductive. That's what Peter said. They keep us from being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to succeed at anything, you've got a New Year's goal. I don't care if it just seems worldly or if it seems spiritual, as long as it's not sinful. But if it's worldly or natural or spiritual or whatever you want to call it, if you've got a goal, the only way you're going to succeed at that is you have to be effective and, and you have to be uh, pur- purposeful. You, you can't be unproductive. You can't be ineffective and achieve what you want to achieve. So we're going to look at self-mastery and how to move forward and reach goals and dreams in our lives. And we want to win as God sees winning. I stress that every week because the world has a concept of winning and it's not the right concept. 
God has the right concept. So if we did a word study on this, I think I made a slide for that. It says that we're supposed to add to this practical knowledge, add to your knowledge, self-control or self-mastery. It means literally the ability to take a grip on oneself. Just makes sense. We tell people, get a grip. What are we saying? Get a grip on yourself. Get a grip on yourself. This is a virtue in which reason fights against passion and reason prevails. We call it self-control or self-mastery. Now, I want you to know, not all passion is wrong. Not all passion is sinful. We think of it just being sinful, but there's good, godly passion you can have. Then there's also passions that are okay, but if you take them too far, then they become bad. Like, for instance, you know, we're commissioned by God to work hard, to make money, to care for our family, to do all those things. That is a godly passion we should have. But you can fall in love with money, and then you can work too much, and you can get greedy, and you can fall in love with the things of the world. And you see what happened? You took something that wasn't wrong in its beginning, but you spread it beyond its boundaries, and then it became sinful or wrong and detrimental to you. So not all passion is bad. But some passion is. Some are sinful passions, and we want to make sure that we crush those sinful passions. So if we took a moment just to glance around the room, it's easier to do when you're in the back of the room, I know, you're going to see a bunch of people, and if we could see all the people online, the millions, you know, tuning in from all over the world uh, online, then we would know this, that everyone here wants to grow, I think, in self-mastery and self-control. Also believe that if we took time to talk with everybody, we'd find that there's some areas that they really are really good at this, and there are other areas they're not so good at it. And so we all need to grow in some area or another. The other thing I want to tell you is that you probably have more mastery in your life than you realize. You probably have more self-control than you realize. I, um, I, I go to bed every night and brush my teeth before I go to bed. I hardly, amen. I can tell you this, I hardly ever want to brush my teeth. And it's like, but I have some self-control. I know it's a big deal, isn't it? Some self-mastery. You say, he's my hero. He brushes his teeth. So, so I, every night I brush my teeth, even if I don't feel like it. I'll tell you something else I don't like to do. I don't know if any of the other guys are like this. I don't like shaving. Every morning I get up and shave. Well, not every morning, but almost every morning I get up and shave, even if I don't feel like it. Why? Because of self-mastery because I've just decided that's something I'm going to do, so I exercise a little bit of self-control. You all probably exercise self-control you don't realize. Your alarm goes off in the morning to go to work. I can tell you that most likely your passion says, I don't want to get up and go to work. But you do it. Why do you do it? Because you have some self-control. What I'm saying is you have a lot more self-control in your life than you realize, but there's the areas where you don't seem to exercise, it seems so glaring, but God can help us with that. And we're going to learn how to grow in that today. So, all of us need a little more self-mastery. I know I do. I'm sure you do. The whole world does. In fact, when you look at these virtues, are there any of them that you say, I've arrived at? Do you look through those virtues and say, you know what? I'm as good as I think anybody could ever be. I'm as godly. I'm as loving. I'm as kind. I'm... No, we, we, don't, we don't achieve the ultimate anything on this side of heaven. But we want to keep growing. And that's why I love the Holy Spirit's word as he moved through Peter. He didn't say, and if you possess these qualities perfectly, if you possess these qualities without a flaw, 
It says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. What's he saying? If you're growing, we're just growing. We just keep growing in the Lord. Now, the NIV and the King James use if on there. And if, if we don't read it properly, it kind of sounds like if you have these qualities. But really, it's a whole thought structure. If you have these qualities in increasing measure. It's not if you have these qualities or if you don't have them. No, it's if you have them in increasing measure. So I just thought I'd look up some things. 2 Peter 1, 8, the discipleship's literal New Testament says this, for these qualities being present in you and increasing. You have these qualities. Young's literal translation. For these things being to you and abounding. The Amplified Bible Classic Edition. For as these qualities are yours and increasingly abound in you. And the Passion Translation. Since these virtues are already planted deep within and you possess them in abundant supply, so we have everything in us already. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, all those virtues that were listed, they are in you. They're in you. Jesus is in you. He holds all those. He's a master at that. And so it's in you. And now how do we get those to just grow? And what do we do to grow in these things? So there's an interesting thing where Paul, um, well, before we get to that, let's look at this other. The source of self-mastery is so important. We really have to get this. The source of self-mastery or of self-discipline or control. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Some say uh, of a sound mind, which actually, if you study it out, it all goes together, because if you have a sound mind and think clearly in the knowledge of Christ, then you have the discipline for your life. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. So we have the Holy Spirit as believers. This kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self-control. There's no law against these things. So Paul challenges us to then stay in step with the Holy Spirit. The Galatians, a wonderful church, mighty miracles were going on among them. The Holy Spirit was being poured out. They were firing what we would say on all cylinders. Everything was great until somebody came in and said, man, this message of the gospel is awesome. This salvation by grace is amazing. But I want to help you out. It's not just grace, but it's also giving your life to Jesus and circumcision and Jewish laws and this. And Paul said, time out. Now, I want you to know, Paul was crazy uh, a crazy Pharisee who understood the law, and he understood the purpose of the law, and if there's anybody who wanted to continue to support the law and promote the law, if it would have been a good thing to do, would have been Paul. But the scriptures tell us clearly that no one will be justified by the law, but by grace in Jesus Christ and salvation in him. So he says this to the Galatians in 3, chapter 3, verse 3, how foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit... Why are you now trying to perfect, become perfect by your own human effort? So it's not human effort, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, we, we submit to the Holy Spirit, but we don't make ourselves different. Now this is a thing I have to remind myself of all the time, because in a certain area of life, if I want to be more self-disciplined or have more self-control or more self-mastery, I will get on a roll and I'll start making progress. And I don't really say this out loud, but it's kind of a concept that happens is I say, okay, thank you, Holy Spirit. I've got this now. You know, you can go on to something else. I'll take care of it from here. And that never works out well. 
It never works out well when I take over. And so we're constantly dependent upon the Holy Spirit. So how do I not take over? How do I keep from taking over? Well, I want to spend a moment talking about that. You and I are going to cooperate with the fruit of self-control, self-discipline, or self-mastery, whatever you want to say. We're going to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to apply. When we pray about something, we're going to then step out of faith and do what we're supposed to be doing with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so it could be anything, but let's say, you know, I'm sitting around and I'm saying, Holy Spirit, I need some help. I got a passion rising up in me, and that passion's laziness. Now, I know no one's ever had that, but some people can be lazy. And you say, oh, I just don't feel like working. I don't feel like doing my quiet time. I don't feel like exercising. I don't feel like being nice. I don't feel like playing with the kids. Kids are saying, I don't feel like playing with mom and dad. You know, it's just, I just, oh, don't want to do my schoolwork, don't want to do whatever, don't want to take out the trash, don't want to, whatever it is. And so we say, okay. Now, again, I probably do overteach at times. That's okay, I think. But there is a time for rest. There's a time for doing nothing. There's a time for relaxation. That's all fine. But you'll know when you've gone past that to where you're, like, getting lazy. And so we say, okay, Holy Spirit, help me. Right now, I know there's something I should be doing. The only thing is not keeping me from doing it. Not that I've been overworked or I need to take a break or I need to rest or I need to relax. The only thing is keeping me from doing this is I'm lazy at this moment. And so, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me. I believe that every virtue in, of God's is in me, and we're called to work hard. We're, I'm called to have self-control. So I'm going to ask you, help me not to be lazy. Now, here's the next step. This is the hardest step. Now you get off the couch and you go do what you feel like you were supposed to do. So you're, you're praying and then you're putting action to it. Remember this, uh, James said, he said, faith without works is what? Dead. Faith without works is dead. So I prayed in faith for the Lord to help me not to be lazy and I need to do this task. But goodness, since I've been sitting here, I still don't feel like doing it. Okay, well, then just get up and go do it. Get up and go do it. Put some faith behind your prayer and get up and go do it. Yesterday, Darlene asked me to do something. Uh, for clarity's sake, it was to go to the grocery store. Now, we know that's not a man's job. Okay? I saw I would stir up some trouble here while I was at it. Except when I was going into the grocery store, I saw Jim Burden coming out of the grocery store, so I guess men are allowed to... to go in the grocery store. But she asked me this. She said, honey, she says, so cold outside. Now, I want to make this clear, just so you don't think I'm a superhero here. I probably go to the grocery store without her one out of 200 times, okay? So she does, she goes to the grocery store. Maybe 10% of the time I go with her, but she does a lion's share of that all the time. But she asked me, she said, hey, honey, it's so cold outside. I don't really feel like getting out, but I need a couple things from the grocery store. Would you like to go to the grocery store and get a couple things for me? And I said, no. <laughs> and she said, I can't believe that you would not go to the grocery store and get a couple items for me that I need 
And quite frankly, most of the items she needs is something she's cooking for me. And um, I said, I'm sorry, honey, it's not that I won't go. You asked me if I wanted to go. I said, that's where the confusion lies. You said, do you want to go to the grocery store and get the No, I do not want to go to the grocery store and get the I want to stay in just like you do. But I said, but I'll be happy to do it. So, uh, wise, be very careful how you frame your questions, okay? So, if she would have said, would you do this for me? I would have said, yes, but she said, do you want to? So, that's a big difference. So, I ended up going and taking care of that. But one, another thing, too, this is, this is true. Uh, whoever's the main grocery shopper, I don't care if it's a guy or a gal, the sub should rarely go. I'll tell you why the sub should rarely go. One time, Darlene was going to go get like two items, and all the kids were there too, and so I'm with her. And so we're all walking around the store, and one kid says, I'd like to have this DVD. I said, why not? So we throw that in there and do this and do that. And This was many years ago. And so we go through the grocery store, and the, the gal rings us off. She says, that'll be $103. And I still remember Darlene's face being shocked. She said, what did you say? I said, that'd be $103. She said, what did we buy? Because I think she went in for like ketchup and mustard or something, so we come out with that. So you, you save money, you know, don't take people like me along to the grocery store. So it can be expensive because you start, everybody starts buying stuff. So what, what we need to do is we need to pray, ask the Holy Spirit to help us. We're going to get into more of this next week, by the way, because I just, I looked out today and said, they're not going to get it in one try. You know, they're going to have, We'll be studying this all of 2024. Um, <laughs> but we are going to spend some more time on it next week. Some really great stuff in the Word to, to bring this on. But the first thing I really wanted to point out is that, first of all, we've got to know our source. Our source is the Holy Spirit. We have to realize that it's not yourself. And even if you or I could really be good at self-mastery, I do want you to know this, we would get the glory for it then. We'd be able to say, look how wonderful I am. Look how great I am. So our lives, according to the Westminster Shorter Catechism and according to the Bible, is we're to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So we want to glorify him, point people to Jesus. People ought to be able to look at our fruit of self-mastery and self-control and say, how do you do that? The Holy Spirit, God's help. Yeah, I'll say, yeah. When I was in control, it wasn't so good. When I turned over control to God, it helped. So I believe we have to start practicing this. And we might not succeed every time, but I will promise you this. If you start practicing this, you'll succeed more than normal. And that, that again, I think, is a ploy of the devil to focus on the negative instead of the positive. And I'm all for improving, but I mentioned this before. Let's say last year you had, like, almost no time with God privately. You, you had a church or a Bible study, but just you yourself... And maybe a dozen times in the year, you actually pause to spend some time reading a devotion, a Bible, or praying. And this year, you said, I want to every day spend time with God, even if it's a few minutes, every day, just quiet time, private time with God. And let's say you get to the end of the year, and you've tracked it completely, and you get to the end of the year, and you go, oh my goodness, there's 365 days in the year, and I only had quiet time 260 days. We tend to focus on the 100 we didn't, and we can keep improving. I'm for that. But if you did it 12 times the year before and 260 times this year, do you all hear this? That's a big improvement. That's progress. And, and thank the Lord. The Lord has all kinds of stuff if we do this in increasing measure. So we're increasing. We're getting better. We're growing. And so always look at the growth that's going on. And when we do this, we will not be ineffective. We will not be unproductive. 
in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ or in any area of life. So here's our, our week's action plan. Know our self-mastery is from the Holy Spirit. Not from ourselves, from the Holy Spirit. It's not by power, it's not by might, it's by your spirit, says the Lord. Second thing, call upon God in prayer. And again, you, you master a lot of things in your lives, but the one you don't, or the few you don't, you just say, Lord, help me. So you call upon him in prayer. Then you confess the word of truth on self-control. So you hear something whisper, ah, this is never going to work for you because you're just not self-controlled. Well, I am, because the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is in me. And one of those fruits, self-control. The Bible says that I do possess the seed of self-control in me. And just confess the word of God, the word of truth on self-control, and then do it. Faith with works is alive. If faith without works is dead, then faith with works is alive. So you get up, dust yourself off, and go on. Once again, in the early stages, will you succeed at that every time? Probably not. But you will, when you try, you will more times than you won't, and you'll make progress. And then what might happen someday, and this is, this is a beautiful thing, that the Holy Spirit will get that so implanted in you that you will do it as a reflex, and you won't even have to pause. Now, I'm not opposed to prayer. Please hear what I'm saying. You won't even have to pause and pray and then work because it'll just happen. I brush my teeth every night as a reflex. Whether I feel like it, whether I don't feel like it, I don't, I don't feel like I have to call upon God for special empowerment to brush my teeth. Might have been the early stages, but I don't anymore because that is a, an implanted habit in my life. And so the more we do these things, the more we should look at our lives and say, wow, I have so much more self-mastery in that area than I ever had before. And boy, these two areas used to be a nightmare for me, and they're not anymore. Well, praise God. That's how we're growing in Christ and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Hmm.